think about enablement because in the end, this is a long-term journey as we talked at the very beginning. I'm convinced Industry 4.0 is, is here to stay for the next years, decades to come. And you need to think through, you know, what is the environment that I can create to get continuous improvement? You are listening to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. The manufacturing sector is evolving and the work that happens on the front line is the key to driving future readiness. On each episode, we bring you conversations with global leaders and industrial companies. Our goal is to discuss trends, stories and people in digital manufacturing and offer the latest insight into solutions. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources at operationsone.com. I'm your podcast host, Benjamin Brockman. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence, and future-proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. Hi, Benjamin. How are you? Thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to be with you. I'm fine. Thank you. Looking forward to the podcast. Michael, could you give me a 60 seconds overview of who you are and what you are doing? Absolutely. We're very happy to do so. So um, let me start with my professional experience. It covers 25 years in consulting, most of the time uh, with BCG, where I was a senior partner until two years ago. was working mostly in industrial goods. Uh, also had a specialty on uh, digital services, uh, which is a great passion for me. I also was several years in line management with Schindler, the elevator company. At Schindler, I was responsible for the global products business, so high-rise uh, elevators, escalators, and so on. And since two years, I'm a self-employed. I work as a coach um, for um, senior management and also as an investor, which is a uh, great fun and very happy again to share my experience. Today, we will talk about Industry 4.0 and how companies go in the direction of Industry 4.0. What is Industry 4.0 in your words? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a broad concept, right? So um, maybe if we start very high level, right? We had different phases of industrialization. You know, it started with the steam machine, which really was a game changer. Then, you know, we, we went to electricity, which enabled, for example, mass production. We um, invented the microprocessor, which uh, enabled a lot of good things, for example, automation. And with this, we also developed the management tools that have served us very well in the past, you know, Lean, Six Sigma, quality management tools, and so on. So, I mean, this is all here, this is all uh, still relevant, you know, in, in most of the cases and doesn't go away. At the same time, you know, a lot of new technologies have become in, in recent years available. Some of them have been available for a long time, but now they are available, you know, at scale and at cost. And that is a game changer. And, you know, it's really a long list, you know, for example, you know, uh, augmented reality, you know, is, is just emerging, you know, and, and it's sure it's going to change a lot in, in the years to come. Assistant systems, for example, Benjamin, where you and an operations one are playing a role as well. 
advanced robotics, uh, additive manufacturing, the whole AI space. So there's a long list of technologies. And if you add it all up, um, it really becomes a game changer. And it enables a lot of use cases that have you know, not been possible before or um, that are suddenly possible in a new way. Uh, you know, worker enablement, for example, to really you know, um, support the workers, make them more flexible, improve quality of what they do. Smartification of the supply chain is a very big topic uh, you know, with traceability and a lot of other opportunities. Predictive maintenance, quality management. So there's a whole lot of new areas. And again, if you take those individual use cases uh, or areas of use cases and add it all up, I think what industry 4.0 really is doing, it makes production and supply chains more flexible because they can react faster, you know, they, they, they are smarter, they are more transparent because you have more data, you have more visibility, you get predictability, you get also more autonomy that equipment, for example, you know, can you know, change itself, can fix itself. So, Industry 4.0 is not one thing. It's actually a whole area of technology-driven change that is not replacing the old ways, but it is really enhancing the old ways. So maybe a lot of words, Benjamin, but that's how I think about it. Yeah, super interesting. And I think we have heard already that Industry 4.0 is a large thing. So there are a lot of different topics beneath it. When I think of Industry 4.0, I think it has been around for more than 10 years. So here and there, I'm asking myself, is it still a relevant topic right now? What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, this is really here to stay. And uh, I think, you know, we're just at the start of a cycle of a next wave of, of improvements and innovation. I mean, also the other cycles that I mentioned before, they have been around for many more than, than 10 years. And um, if you take some of the technologies I mentioned, you know, Let's take augmented reality, right? It's still early days, so there's a lot to come, things that we can't even imagine, and all of this will help us to improve the way you know we manufacture, the way we, we maintain equipment, the way we interact with customers. It, it touches all aspects, right? And, and a lot of it is still in early trial stage. Let's take additive manufacturing, right? We had a bit of a hype cycle. It's cooled down, but fundamentally, it is a very interesting technology that is evolving that, you know, will also in the future have a lot of impact. Let's take, you know, um, AI. Uh, you know, we do a lot of great stuff, but more data will become available. More sensors will send data. So all of this, even from today, you know, there will be a lot of leapfrogs forward. And therefore, I'm totally convinced that this change is uh, with us for many years to come. Maybe the brand changes, maybe, you know, someday we won't call it industry 4.0. We'll find a better term for this. But fundamentally, what is happening, in my view, is, uh, is, is here to stay for, you know, the next decades. And I'm sure something else will be added to it and, and, and then we'll accelerate it and so on. Okay, so it's a relevant topic. And you covered, for example, technologies like AI, machine learning. You talked about... Um, AR, worker enablement. Do you see a transition coming from a first phase of Industry 4.0 where we focused much more on the machinery and now probably more on worker enablement or going more in the direction of the workers as well? 
I mean, absolutely, that's one big case. And uh, I think it was, of course, focused maybe initially on robotics and, and other topics. But on the whole HR side, I think what we see in general, right, and, and I hear that from many of my clients all over the world, right, is there is a real scarcity of, of employees. There is a challenge of, of managing the workforce, of keeping the workforce, of skidding up the workforce, even you know, attracting people to the workforce. And therefore, it's a very, very tight resource and enabling the workers to really you know, perform at their best and to make their jobs attractive and, and to keep them stay, uh, I think, you know, will only gain the importance given the macro trends that we are facing, you know, and um, aging of population, you know, uh, and so on is also adding to this. So I wouldn't say, you know, it's either or. I think it's just and because there are so many different technologies available that we will see a lot of progress and enhancement on the hardware side, you know, on the software side or on data connectivity and so on, but also on the people side. And I think that's very important because uh, it's very important to also have something positive for the people to really um, make the jobs more interesting, more rewarding, because otherwise there might be a backlash, right? Resistance against all the changes. And you want to get excitement, you want to get enthusiasm, you want to get all the ideas of the workers as well. And therefore, it needs to touch the lives of the workers in a big way. Michael, today we would like to go very hands-on and we will speak about Industry 4.0. And I know that you have a lot of experience within the Industry 4.0 topic and how companies come closer or go in the direction of Industry 4.0? How can they approach the Industry 4.0 topic? And let's assume I'm the CEO of a manufacturing company and I would like to digitalize my factory. Could you explain me how an Industry 4.0 opportunity assessment, which you conducted in the past and you know how to do that, um, would help me as a CEO of that company? I think there is you know, one that really is supported externally. That's, of course, as an uh, you know, ex-advisor, that is um, what I'm focused on. But there's also an in-house way, right? Whether you go in-house only or you, you use external resources, depends on many factors, right? It depends on the maturity of the organization, of the time you give yourself, uh, level of inspiration you get. But I think whatever you do, What is super important is that you get external input. If you do it only inside out, you will not get to the best result because it's just impossible, right, for a factory team or a production team to know all the technologies that are out there, all the use cases, all the providers and so on. I can only recommend to use external inputs. So that can be model factories, that can be you know, technology vendors. Uh, of course, they push their solution, but you know, it, it's good ideas. Um, That can be benchmarking with your peers, uh, networks, and so on. And then there's the way of using an advisor. And um, I think especially if you do it for the first time or, or, or you, you seem to not progress as fast as you want, it can be very really helpful to get an external advisor that is working with you on this. And that's what I would like to describe based on experience, how that works. And I think... There are a few principles before I go into a step-by-step -step approach that I want to you know, share with you because I find them super important. And one is you know, to really be opportunity-driven and not 
technology driven. And you know, when I went to to clients, to factories, to teams, and so on, I often saw them how they fell in love with a specific solution, a specific use case that somehow accidentally, you know, fell on them. Maybe they've seen it somewhere, they've been, you know, at the presentation and so on. And they spent a lot of time on, in the end, fixing a small issue. So I think it's super important to kind of not start with technology, but to start with the pain points in an operation to really identify and understand the big opportunities. And there will be limited resources to implement, so you better make sure that you get the big ones at first. And the second one is to really engage and not, you know, even if you use an, an external support, not to, to delegate too much. I think you need to really involve, you know, your local management, the workers on the shop floor. And a good way of doing this is really to select a pilot factory that is taking the lead, you know, a, a production head that raises his hand and says, I want to go ahead. And then you spend a lot of time with him, her, and all the people, you know, in the location, and you identify the pain points and you find the right solutions. And the last principle is really to think big. I think it's easy to get lost in small use cases and to do incremental stuff. I think a piece of the art is really adding it all together and getting a picture of the future of production in your location. So what will it be, you know, four or five years, maybe even 10 years from now? And to really then work against this longer-term picture and not to get lost in incremental smaller stuff that might be exciting but is not fundamentally changing. So, for example, you know, different levels of automation, different levels of autonomy in your production. Yeah, you mentioned workforce enablement, to really think big and have a long-term vision. And then you need to break it down. When you are conducting the status quo analysis, how difficult do you see the technologies which are already implemented at your customer, for example? Assume in our use case, I'm the CEO of the manufacturing company. I already have a lot of technology being in use. And of course, I do not want to throw that into trash. Yeah, it's a hard word here, but let's assume there's a lot of legacy technology. How do you approach that? Because you need to bring something new in, you need to find new solutions, but there's a lot of technology already in use. I mean, that's a super relevant question and uh, there's no easy answer to it, right? But I think in principle, you need to respect, right? What is there for many reasons? I mean, first, uh, probably it's working, right? In the first place. So um, that's already helpful. There has been investment and, and uh, you don't want to have the write-off and so on. And I think that's really part of the whole discussion, right? That you need to have when you prioritize use cases and then also when you develop the roadmap. And therefore, it's not a quick fix, right? Where you do a quick assessment and then in one year you have it all implemented. I think you need to very thoroughly think through what are the biggest issues to solve and if they're really big and you have a really good solution, maybe it's worth to kill what you have, right? And replace it. But maybe it's not, right? Maybe the new solution is only giving you 20% improvement and therefore you can't afford the write-off, right? And then it's also a resource question. So I think you need to really look at this case by case and also look at the interdependencies. And then there's another complexity that you did not mention, 
that is in a network of factories, right? You might have a good solution for one factory. Maybe they don't even have a solution. You know, we, we had that situation, right? Where we had an optical solution to identify print issues. And in the location that was a pilot factory, we had no solution. So it was an obvious case to invest in that area because they space a lot of manpower on checking the quality and you could do it with an optical system much, much more efficient. But other factories have found their own ways of doing it in a different way. And that needs to be part of the roadmap discussion, right? Um, and it's also a governance question that you need to solve afterwards, right? If you have 10, 20, 30 factories, how do you drive your industry 4.0 approach across the network? Because for many of those solutions, you want to have standards, right? Data standards, IT standards, solution standards, and you might start in a very fragmented approach. Okay, so we already talked about that road mapping. So coming back to our use case example, you went into the production area, you found a lot of use cases, and then you started to do the road mapping. How do you engage the yeah, current employees within the factory, the leaders, to work with you on that roadmap? Because I would probably think that it's not that easy to come as an external guy and um, yeah, build that new roadmap for them. So you have to build it with them, right? Yeah, I mean, this is super collaborative and such an assessment and in the end it's not an assessment. I think it's really a creative process of developing something can only be successful if you have super hands-on engagement of everyone, right? You know, the workers on the shop floor, the quality guys, you know, the procurement guys you might have, you know, management locally. And I think also you need to create excitement with senior management because uh, in the end you will need money and you will need, you know, to, to drive change. Uh, and, and it will touch IT, it will touch data management. So you can't solve this in one factory, right? Unless all you have is one factory, right? But many companies have more locations. So you need to engage from day one and you need to make the case and, you know, the management case, which, you know, is, is, is you know, developing better products, better quality, faster, more flexible and the investment case. And this all needs to be co-developed. But what I think what an external expert can bring is, you know, this outside in inspiration, right? If you find somebody that has done a lot of similar work, you know, they know the use cases, uh, they have technology vendors that they can bring in for showcases. Um, they know what it costs, right? They know how long it takes. Of course, you need to choose somebody that's experienced. And, you know, when I did it, I always, you know, had a team of very deep experts um, that basically did nothing else than those type of assessments that, you know, traveled from factory to factory, worked closely with the supply chain guys that did similar work for supply chains. And you need that type of expertise. But in the end, the local buy-in is what makes it, you know, a success or failure. And therefore, it needs to be a super collaborative approach. And that's why I mentioned it as a, as, as a principle of the approach. As one of your principles, you mentioned as well, thinking big. And what I find super interesting that when I talk with potential clients, I go into their production floor, I see the use cases which you mentioned as well. And I find it hard to find the right balance between solving the use case, which I see right now, and I would like to find an answer for the client. But on the other hand side, thinking big and seeing the big picture, 
and bringing that in the right balance because you cannot go too big unless you solve some of the use cases. How do you treat that? Yeah, and uh, you make a very good point, Benjamin. And uh, of course, we face that as well. It's not easy, but I think what I would recommend anyone who, who goes off to this is uh, to work in iterations, right? So it's not that sequential by you know, looking at it only once. I think you need to bring out those topics in a multiple series of workshops where you, on one hand, prioritize, but then you also make the connection, right? Around topics, for example, how can I improve quality, right? And then you have different type of use cases, which, you know, work enablement, you know, to, to do the job better, to already get the initial quality feedback, you know, when you do the job, then maybe in your automation system, you know, you have an improvement, then uh, you might have, you know, other checks uh, along, along the production chain. And then you look at the topic quality, right? And then, of course, a factory, you know, if you take that as an example, is not a discrete element, right, in the world. I mean, uh, there is stuff coming in and stuff going out. So, you know, there's the incoming and outgoing supply chain, and you need to make those connections. That's maybe the second step. So once you have your ideas shaped, you have an initial draft of the future of production, you need to engage with related functions. If you only do it in a silo, I'm pretty convinced, you know, it will fail or, you know, at best be incremental. If we talk about the assessment, let's make it very hands-on. I'm a company, I have 4,000 employees, I'm a manufacturing company. I would like to conduct that Industry 4.0 opportunity assessment. How long does it take? How much does it cost? So how big is it for me as a company to do that? Of course, a very relevant question, right, for anyone who sponsors such a project. And uh, I think it really depends on scope. Basically, in terms of scope, you can go from status quo assessment to target picture and implementation roadmap. And that's, I think, the minimal scope that you should have. But you can also scope it a bit more broadly, right? After the target picture and, and the roadmap, you can also, and you have to do it at some point, right? Look at IT and data requirements as, as one piece. Then the second piece is you need to look at the operating model, right? How do you govern the whole institute topic across functions and then maybe across manufacturing sites? Topics I mentioned before, like, you know, who decides on standards? How do we align across factories? Do all factories have to do the same? Or, you know, where can they choose and where do they have to follow group standards? All of those governance questions need to be answered over time. And that's another natural next step. And then, of course, there's kind of the MVP development and maybe phase one. So that's one scope that you need to decide. And the other type of scope is, are you doing it in one pilot factory? Or are you engaging you know, multiple factories in a pilot? Or you know, do you find a tailor-made way for you to do it? That drives a bit time and cost. And if we take you know, one good approach that I have taken, which is a bit of a minimal approach, is you take one good factory with a very committed team, you do an initial assessment from status quo to target picture and roadmap, that takes somewhere between, I would say, six to eight weeks in total um, to do it. Given that you have good project management and outside-in input, and given that you have your local resources really freed up 
to engage on you know what is needed in terms of workshops, pain points, use case prioritization, and so on. I think that's kind of a minimum setup. And if you do this, you know you talk about a six-digit figure, depending on the external supplier that you choose, can be low six-digit or I don't know mid-six-digit figure. If you broaden the scope and you go to multiple factories, you go all the way into the IT and operating model topics, maybe MVPs, you will end up in the seven-digit figure. Maybe that's as precise as I can be because it's been different in all the different situations that I've seen. Let's assume I buy that. As a manufacturing company CEO, I buy that package. We are going through that steps. At the end of this assessment, as I understand it, I have the implementation roadmap and I start with the MVP. I would like to start with the implementation. How do you manage the first steps of the implementation when it starts to get complicated? So I assume there is a lot of stuff happening, which I probably need to change on the manufacturing floor. I need to bring in new technologies. I have your roadmap, but my question is, how do you manage the implementation phase? Are you still on the boat or how do you do that? It depends again. So, um, you know, often we've still been on the board. I think, um, for example, the operating model is often underestimated, right? Um, because there's a lot of excitement around the technological opportunities, what can be done and so on. But it's a bit underestimated that if you have a multi-location site that you need to really think through, you know, how do you do this in Germany? How do you do it in Pakistan? What about China? What about the US? You know, there's also regulatory issues that need to be considered, different labor costs that need to be considered. So not every solution makes the same sense in every location. So there's a lot of complexity. I think that's also where I've been often involved on thinking through how you set that up so that it kind of has a, a good foundation. The other one is really IT and data requirements, where often you need to also look at, you know, what is the roadmap? Um, because, you know, you can't, as you mentioned before, you can't just throw it out and, and, and start a clean sheet. You know, you work in a legacy environment that needs to change over time in an economically and operationally meaningful way. So that's also an area where often, you know, with the right experts, uh, I've been involved on developing that right roadmap. So I think that's certainly an area where expert support is needed. How you support that really depends on how comfortable you are with your in-house resources and also maybe whether you need a neutral moderator in the process and you need the outside expertise or, or whether you need that less. I really made very good experience by, after such an assessment, showing impact quickly. And that can really influence your roadmap. So it might make sense, right, to maybe start with a minor use case that can be implemented quickly but shows improvement rather than going after the biggest one that might be a thorny one to implement. And if you don't show success quickly, you will lose buying and there will be less excitement, right? And that's also beyond you know, developing the foundation on the governance model, on the IT side, I think it's just practical benefits, right? And impact, uh, making, you know, winning the hearts and minds of the people and, of course, of management and of, you know, your colleagues left and right in other functions. So that's another very important piece 
where I put a lot of emphasis on is not to, in the end, have you know a big long-term vision and then you know there's 12 months radio silence, but to really, really, really within weeks show real benefits. That makes a big difference. Yeah, super interesting. It brings us back to the questions we had in the middle about solving a dedicated use case on the one hand side and seeing the big picture on the other side. And I think, yeah, this is a, a big trade-off and it's not easy to solve when it gets very concrete, when you see the use cases in the production floor. You talked about engagement as well. And, and I think when you go into the steps of implementation, it's very important or even much more important to have the commitment from the whole company, from the whole client company to do that implementation. Just for me to understand who is part of the assessment. So which business areas are being touched when you conduct that assessment? So if you take a manufacturing site, right, the factory, um, I think you should really have, of course, the head of production in the local site. Then I think you should have production planning, for example. You should have uh, supply chain uh, management of that site. You should have uh, local procurement, right? And then, of course, you, you spend a lot of time on the factory floor. So you really follow each of the steps of the production, each manufacturing cell. You spend a lot of time talking to the workers. And therefore, you also need to have representatives from the workers. And when we do those workshops, you know, when I did them, we had a pretty full room, to be honest. Um, you know, there's been 10, 12 people at least typically, to really, you know, go through all the different topics, talk to the pain points, because even within a site that is often cross-functional, right? It's not, you know, one person owns one problem and the other's not often. It involves many people. And therefore, you need to be super engaging on this one. And as I said, you also need to think through the interfaces, internal, external suppliers, uh, supply chain, that um, maybe not at the very first day, but you know, um, within the process, you need to evolve. So that's why it's a super hands-on and highly engaged approach that you need to take. What's also helpful, right, is to do visits to to best practice factories, showcase factories, you know, vendor showcases, and so on, as part of such an effort to really bring it to life and make people feel it, hear from other production experts that have done it, seen the benefits, seen the problems, you know, went through the thorny issues. That's really how you bring it to life. Let's go at the end of that journey. And let's assume I implemented the roadmap. I'm now digitalized. I solved a lot of use cases together with you. Which kind of results do you see at your clients? Probably business results, impact results, when Industry 4.0 has been implemented. Well, it comes in all dimensions, right? I mean, um, it can be scrap reduction, right? And, you know, uh, I've seen situations, you know, where smart robotics using the data properly and so on, you know, scrap has been reduced, you know, by 80, 90%. Or, you know, I mentioned before a case of, for example, the quality control, where we had human visual control, and that has been represented by, um, you know, using basically um, tools that can, uh, you know, analyze the videos that are taken. And, you know, using those type of tools, you know, we got almost 98% reduction of work that was used at a much better quality 
So, you know, these are just a few examples where you can have kind of breakthrough impact. But then there's also maybe, you know, stuff that is more incremental. But if it's a big problem that you solve, right, uh, for example, um, you know, even 5 or 10% of improvement can be super meaningful. So um, I think the, the benefits really, you know, use case by use case uh, can go from single digit, but on a high volume, to breakthrough and, uh, you know, 90 plus percent. Let's have another example. I'm the CIO, the COO of a company, and I work in a legacy mode. So I have a ERP in place, but all of my operations are paper-based within my factory. So manual processes, paper everywhere. I would like to be future-proof. So which kind of topic should I put on the agenda today and work on it, in your opinion? I think, you know, it's um, every production Every industry is different, right? And even within industries, right? Companies are different. So it's a bit hard to give one size fits all. But I mean, there are some very obvious use cases you talked about, for example, paper-based processes. And I think, you know, paper really should be in most instances a thing of the past. So, you know, to really have digital enablement of the workers, right? By using tools, exactly what you are providing, Benjamin, uh, with your company. Linking it to machine data, linking it to external data, and then using the data also to get more intelligence on what really happens. I think that's a big thing, right? And that's kind of, of a no-lose proposition. And I think also what really is a no-lose proposition is to get much more data from all, you know, what people are doing. So it's what machines, you know, are delivering in terms of data, but also what humans are doing, and to use really advanced analytics to constantly improve. And you know, when before we had Six Sigma and Lean, which are great tools and they will persist, I think now there's a new layer of analytics-based continuous improvement. And again, I think you know, using the data and you know, using what often is a black box, right? What exactly happens on the shop floor and getting transparency. On this, I think that's another one that is, you know, kind of universally a beneficial use case. And what I would recommend is for any CIO or production head to implement is to really also think about enablement, because in the end, this is a long-term journey, as we talked at the very beginning, right? Um, I'm convinced Industry 4.0 is, is here to stay for the next years, decades to come. And you need to think through, you know, what is the environment that I can create to get continuous improvement? And I think one is to make it a constant topic through thick and thin. And there is a risk, you know, if you have a downturn, maybe now we have huge supply chain issues that you stop those efforts and you have other priorities. And I think you are killing kind of progress if you stop it, because then you need to restart and you lose a lot in between. So I think making it a constant topic and committing resources. Michael, thanks for being on the podcast. It was very inspiring to talk with you. And I'm very much looking forward to see you in some of the next episodes and talk again about such a great topic. Thanks, you, Benjamin. It was a pleasure. And uh, thanks for the great questions. It was a real pleasure. Thanks. Bye, Michael. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening and we hope you found this episode valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a 5-star review. You can find more information and resources at operationsone.com. 
This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence, and future proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information.